Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now that we know what we're working with on Capitol Hill, more or less, what does that mean for environmental policy over the next two years? And what does that mean for the rest of this year? On this episode, we talk about Congress, energy, the environment, and of course, Joe Manchin. Hello and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So today's episode is brought to you by the number 118, as in the 118th Congress is about to begin at the beginning of next year. And after this month's midterm elections, we now have a pretty good idea of who's going to be serving in it. Democrats will retain control of the Senate with either the same majority they have now or maybe one extra seat to make it 51-49. Republicans, meanwhile, will take over control of the House, but with a razor-thin majority that may be in the single digits. To go over what all this will mean for energy and environmental policy, we'll be hearing from Kelly Lunny, a Bloomberg government energy reporter who prowls the halls of the House and Senate for us. In a bit, she'll get into why the Democratic senator from West Virginia will be as powerful as ever in the 118th Congress. But first, I asked her to tell me how the waning hours of the 117th will go. Yes, we've got the National Defense Authorization Act, which is a very, very important piece of legislation that typically is bipartisan. It's one of the few things that Congress can agree on needs to get done every year. Um, And it often carries a lot of other things in it. Uh, But it sets defense policy and it also authorizes um, defense appropriations, which is obviously very important for funding the military, um, pay raises for military members, etc. Yeah, there aren't a lot of lawmakers who want to be seen as, you know, blocking a military funding bill. Correct. And they do try to keep, you know, like a lot of must-pass legislation, things get included in it that, you know, aren't necessarily what everybody would like. But it's a little bit different from the omnibus in the sense that they really do try to keep it focused on defense-related and defense-adjacent issues. Um, And it doesn't typically become the Christmas tree type of vehicle that that the omnibus, the the year-end spending bill does. Well, let's get into that Christmas tree, and you're talking about the you know the annual uh, or it's supposed to be annual uh, funding bill that pays for the rest of the government. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like there could be some significant environmental or energy riders that get attached to that, or or will there be? Well, you know, I think you know Congress always waits to the last minute to do this bill for many reasons. <laughs> I think um, partly because. The closer we get to the holidays, the more incentive people have to actually get something done so they can all leave and go home. As far as this year, you know, they'll they'll certainly look to to try to fund all of the 
appropriations bills, including interior environment and the energy and water bill, which is um, the two the two bills that have the bulk of funding for energy and environment programs. So those will be in there at the levels that they've agreed to. They'll probably end up really going with the House um, versions just because the Senate has not gotten as far um, with their spending bills as the House has, and that's kind of been the case for the last couple of years. I want to specifically get into one item that uh, did not get swept up into the Inflation Reduction Act from early this year, and that was uh, permitting reform, which uh, is, was a, a pet project of Senator Joe Manchin. You know, he wasn't able to get that across the, the finish line. Do you think he will be able to get that in the lame duck session? I think it's going to be very, very difficult for him to do that because he has often said he wants to reform the, the federal permitting process, the permitting process by which energy projects are done. It is fairly bureaucratic. It can take a really long time. Sometimes things are, you know, in litigation forever and it can affect reasonable projects. And that's fossil fuel projects, that's renewable energy projects, that's infrastructure projects. It, it can be it can be difficult, but there's also a reason why we have these things in place so that um, environmental reviews are done and people are able to have input into what these projects look like and ensure that they don't harm you know, communities, p- particularly communities of color who are already overburdened with pollution, that they don't um, negatively affect habitat, wildlife, things like that. So there's a reason why we have this. But I think both you know, Democrats and Republicans to some degree uh, agree that there needs to be some overhauling of how it works currently. Senator Manchin was interested in doing it because there is a big project in his state called the Mountain Valley Pipeline that has been on the books for almost 10 years now. It's been delayed numerous times because of this permitting process. There's been environmental reviews. There's been litigation. And he really wants to get it done because he believes that it will help lower energy prices. Um, it's a natural gas pipeline. That was really his his impetus for trying to do this now. And he has leverage because he's Joe Manchin. He's the crucial 50th vote in the Senate. Well, you know, it's it's actually interesting because I would have thought that he would have lost his leverage because the the Inflation Reduction Act already passed. You know, Democrats and the, the Biden administration got most of what they wanted. But actually, your story recently on this showed, no, he still has a ton of leverage because, as we now know, Democrats uh, retain the Senate, which means Joe Manchin is still going to be the chairman of the Energy Committee, which is a very powerful position. Yeah, he still has a lot of leverage. He still has a lot of influence because of that position. He also, you know, extracted commitments from Senator Schumer, who has indicated every time he's been asked about it that he intends to honor that and to try to get federal permitting reform um, that Manchin supports across the board. The White House has indicated support for it too. So there, there's, he's still got that to count on. The other thing that could help him, maybe not this year, but perhaps next year, is that with you know Republicans taking charge of the House, you know he could work with them on federal permitting. Now it's going to look a lot different than what he than what he proposed originally, and he's still going to have a hard time attracting support from both sides of the aisle. But Republicans have, and some some Republican members that I have talked to who have jurisdiction over an interest in federal permitting have expressed a willingness to work with him on this. Something could happen. There are other Democrats, too, not necessarily in the progressive wing, but other Democrats who 
would really like to see some kind of overhaul to the permitting process. Yeah, it, it blocks projects in red states and blue states. Correct. So there is some some um, there are some Democrats that want to have this conversation, want to get something done. I think as far as the lame duck is concerned, it's we don't have much time at all left. People I have talked to on the Hill don't have much um, appetite for putting something like this in the NDAA because they don't want to derail the NDAA, which, again, is a very important piece of legislation. So I think it could crop up again. You know, we could have um, some flurry of activity where maybe we, maybe it gets dropped into this or that. But I think we're just it, the clock is running out and, um, you know, we'll see what happens next year. I don't think it's it's dead, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere this year. Staying with um, Manchin and staying with the Senate here, let's talk about nominations. And specifically, I want to talk about one nomination in particular, Richard Glick, who the Biden administration nominated to serve on FERC, which is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Senator Manchin has said he uh, does not want to hold a hearing on this nomination, hasn't given a lot of reasons why. But uh, it seems like now that Manchin is going to continue on as the chairman of this committee, is this nomination toast? Like, is he going to have to, you know, withdraw the nomination? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I think it might be a wrap for Richard Glick um, because you know he's we're getting to the end of the year. He's not going to get a hearing this year. Biden could obviously renominate him next year, and the process kind of starts over again. But that doesn't mean that Manchin is going to change his mind, um, and he's still in charge of the committee that has to uh, advance the the nomination to the floor. So I think that Glick is probably getting caught up in the larger politics around energy. Yeah, I was going to ask, do we have an, a sense of why Manchin opposes, opposes him? I've heard a few things, and my, my colleague Daniel Moore at Bloomberg Law has done some excellent reporting on this topic. A few weeks ago, Biden gave a speech. He talked about energy and there were some comments that he made essentially saying, we're going to shut down, you know, coal plants. We're going to, you know, it was a it was a bit tone deaf and it's not the kind of thing that Joe Manchin likes to hear. It made him angry and Manchin, you know, shot off a statement after those remarks, basically saying that they were, you know, that was a terrible thing to say and it's not true and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, Biden kind of needlessly angered Manchin over that. And this is also around the time where reporters had been asking, okay, when are you going to have the Glick nomination hearing? You know, his time is running out. And I think, so I think Glick got caught up in that sort of crossfire. But, you know, and Glick is a former energy natural resources staffer. He's worked on that committee. He knows Manchin. Manchin knows him. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, my colleague Daniel Moore wrote a story, I believe yesterday, that mentioned this issue. And he had talked to Glick yesterday at the FERC meeting. And Glick said that Manchin called him and, and you know, talked to him about it um, before he said that he wasn't going to do the hearing. You know, I think it's pretty clear that Manchin is navigating a very tricky path um, on these issues, on energy and environment issues. Um, given the state he's from. Oh, and by the way, uh, Senator Manchin is up for re-election uh, in two years. Yes, yeah.
Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Uh, let's cross the rotunda and head on over to the House. That We don't know what the majority will be like in the House. We know Republicans will be in control, but we don't know the size. We do know that it's going to be very, very, very small. Uh, so Republicans are going to have trouble, I think, probably passing anything, let alone passing something and then getting the Senate to pass it and send it to the president's desk. However, they will have the ability to do investigations into the Biden environmental agenda. What do you expect those to look like? What do you think that uh, Republicans in the House will target in terms of their investigations? I think that they're going to look at the administration's, probably starting out, the administration's policies on gas prices and how much of a role that they've played in inflation and how the administration's energy policy has affected the country's ability to be energy independent and keep prices affordable and service reliable for for the country. I think that's gonna be a key area that they look at. I think they're also going to um, be interested in how the administration pursues um, domestic oil and gas drilling on federal lands. Um, That's been a sticking point. for a while, you know, there was the executive action that Biden took, putting a temporary moratorium on that. That has been litigated. Now we're essentially at a point where the administration can't keep delaying and slow walking um, those types of lease sales. So I think you're going to see Republicans push them on on being more proactive on, on holding oil and gas lease sales onshore and offshore on federal lands. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot uh, more appearances by cabinet secretaries like Deb Holland at Interior, um, Michael Regan at EPA, and G- Jennifer Granholm at Energy on the Hill, asking about all of those th- things. I think DOE in particular, DOE got a lot of money in the infrastructure uh, law. They also got a decent amount of money in the um, Inflation Reduction Act. So they're in a position where 
they're deciding how they're going to disperse that money. You're going to see Republicans do a lot of oversight on how that money is spent, where it goes, what kind of projects it goes to. Okay, and finally, really quickly, um, our colleague Ari Natter wrote a story recently uh, about how the president may use the administrative rulemaking process to get done what he can't get done uh, in the next two years through Congress. He certainly wouldn't be the first president to try to do this uh, when Congress doesn't give him what he wants. Um, What do you think about that? Do you think that that is uh, an avenue that the president will pursue? And if so, do you think it'll be successful? I think it's definitely an avenue he'll pursue, and it's an avenue that's open to him. Um, And this is this is the time that presidents use that avenue to not necessarily successfully, but they try to use it more often at this period of time when they've got a divided Congress. They're in their last two years of their administration. They really want to get things across the board. The issue with rulemaking and and other executive actions like executive orders, proclamations, things like that, you can do those things, but they're not durable. So they can always get overturned, reversed, thrown out. Executive actions, especially. Executive actions, for sure. But but rules, too. You know, there's the Congressional Review Act and that, you know, Congress can and can undo regulations in a certain period of time. And, you know, there's always litigation that comes along with rules, too. So, I mean, I think it's certainly an avenue. It's not it's not necessarily, I think, one that could yield a, a lot of significant action, though. I mean, he may be able to do some stuff tinkering here and there, maybe on like social cost of carbon, maybe on methane, which you're seeing right now happen um, with the EPA. And those are, you know, it's it's not nothing, but it's not the big sweeping transformative um, investment that you that, you know, you, we've seen with infrastructure, the infrastructure law with the Inflation Reduction Act. So there's only so much you can do with the rule making process. All right. Well, that was uh, Kelly Lunny talking about the end of 117 and the beginning of 118. Uh, thank you, Kelly, so much for, for chatting. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that's it for today's episode of Parts Rebellion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use the handle at environment, just at, at environment. And I, of course, am at David B. Schultz. Today's episode of Parts for Billing was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts for Billing was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle. It is edited by Zach Sherwood and Chuck McCutcheon. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and happy Thanksgiving. An individual's race should not be used to help him or harm him in his life's endeavors. A pair of lawsuits has made its way to the Supreme Court, and the decision could dramatically change just who gets into which college. Bloom is effectively using the Asian community as pawns. Every lawsuit needs a villain. To mask an anti-Black and anti-Latino agenda. Does this demoralize me? No, it doesn't demoralize me. This season on Uncommon Law, we'll explore the arguments and the people driving this latest battle over affirmative action. Can the Constitution be used to remedy society's ills? I'm the only person in class who has to raise my hand and say, okay, well, actually, here's how this affects people that look like me. Does the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause prohibit all discrimination based on race? You let somebody in because of their race, you're keeping somebody else out because of their race. There might have been two or three Latinos, including me. And so somehow that's too much. Somehow that goes too far. 
it's hard not to take that very personally. Coming October 25th, part one of a three-part series on affirmative action. What's being decided is whether black and brown people are going to be excluded in significant numbers. Only on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.